Hi, this is Chelsea Grimes and welcome to another episode of What We Could Have Been. Thanks to you guys who've been listening and downloading, subscribing to the series so far. I really do appreciate it and I love reading all your messages. If you don't already know, this is a podcast about how our lives can take unexpected twists and turns. And as a Liverpool fan, I never thought that I'd become friends with a Man United player, but that's exactly who's on today's episode. Many of you will remember him as a five-time, five-time Premier League winner and Champions League winner. But did you know that he's also one of three players to play for both Sir Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger? He's one of my favourite people, actually, who I've met in, in football world. You know, still from time to time, I get the digs in now how well Liverpool are doing and how, you know, badly Man United are doing. But he is just a great, great guy. You'll know him as Mikel Sylvester, but to me, he's Mike. We spoke a few weeks ago whilst football was still in lockdown, but as the Premier League has now returned, it's fitting that we're releasing this episode now. This is what we could have been with my mate, Mikel Sylvester. Because it kills me every time that I see what we could have been. So I call you Michael just because I'm Scouser and or Mike. But how do you actually say? Is it Mikael? Mikael? None of it. Mikael. 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 Okay, <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to stick to Mike or Michael. <laughs> All right, well, every guest I've started with, I've gone back to the first time I met them. So I'm going to, you know, for the listeners out there, set the scene a bit. We were in France and I was, I got to perform at the Legends Dinner, the FIFA Legends Dinner. And of course, you are a FIFA legend. And I got up, I remember, and it was crazy. It was like caca was in the room and I was already obsessed with that because I remember one of my biggest moments in football history for me was Liverpool AC Milan 2005. So I give him a bit of banter and then I get up to perform and there's a table of all Chelsea players like Essien, Desai, all these. And then the front table was all Man United players and I was thinking, you have stitched me up here. It was like you, it was Park Ji Sung. Who else was there? I'm trying to think. Uh, Louis Saha. Louis Saha, yeah, that was it. And and you were all you yous were actually really nice. I thought that you were gonna give me some give me some <laughs> some food thrown at me or something. But I met you and your lovely wife, Sev, who I love to death, literally. I tell her every time I, I wanna grow up and be like her. But um, but can you remember that that Legends dinner? What 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 do you do for the FIFA Legends thing? For, first of all, right. So yeah, the the dinner was good because it was French food, and then we had that singer <laughs> from Liverpool. And when you sing, you're losing your accent. So I couldn't tell you were from Liverpool. But lucky. <laughs> yeah, that's why I, I never got no food thrown at me. <laughs> yeah, but no, it was, the Legends... it was a good time. Yeah, it was a good time. We had a very good time and the competition was great. As a FIFA legend, it's really, it's, it's quite new, that program. It's, it started in the reign of Infantino. He wanted the players to be more involved, you know, within the representation of football. He wants to give back to, to the players because we are, I say we, because you and me, we are, we are what football at the top level makes that, that football, uh, that game uh, different. It's really... Um, uh, a desire, a will from from uh, from Gianni to uh, to bring the players, men, men's and women, to the key decisions and to key events. So, so he's he's bringing only the the good ones on board. 
<laughs> it was, it was, it, it was good. And I, I got to see you again in France when the Women's World Cup was on. And I think we were all having a drink outside somewhere and it was you and Tim Cahill. And I was like, you should have me on. A Man United player and an Everton player. Where's all the Scousers? But, um, true. No, no Scousers yet. No Scousers yet. Yeah. I mean, no, no, no red so far. But we are friends now for everyone listening. As much as I hated your team back then, you know, when I grew up, I just remember clearly that Manchester United kit with a Vodafone sign on. Clearly, those Red Devils. You just used to do every Liverpool fan's head in because you just won everything. And like, even now, I'm friends with you. I we always joke around, don't we? Um, that that's our big thing, the Liverpool Manchester rivalry. But you are such a lovely person, and I just I can't hate you anymore. I love you too much. <laughs> okay, so this podcast is called What We Could Have Been. So we're gonna go right back. So. Literally get into every moment that you think, like, you know, serendipity come into play. And, and those little key moments, even, you know, in your own head, what was, like, the first moment that you thought, I can be a professional footballer? Because that's every kid's dream. Right. For me, Chelsea, you have to understand that it's a bit different because my cousin is 10 years older than me. And uh, so when I was 10, he was already playing for social in Liga. He was already, he's won the under-21 championship with Erin Cantona, Laurent Blanc. So he was, he was like an example for me. And at least, it, like it, in some way, it broke the barrier that it's not impossible to become a pro because someone in my family. And you know, when you're 10, I was, my idol was Platini. So I was looking at Platini being my idol. He's had 13 caps. So Jaoui was the first manager he's had for the national team. So it's not, it, it was never like a dream, you know, it was like, wow, that would be great. That would be cool. But it wasn't like, wow, this is amazing. I can't like, I'm dreaming of it. It was my yeah, for internet sure. is, is okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So fair enough. So you already had someone in the family who kind of, you know, set the benchmark. Do you, do you still speak to your cousin now? Are you still really close? Like, do you give oh, him yeah, banter no. now? <laughs> yeah, no, we, we are close. We are close. We played once with each other and we lost. I mean, I lost. I lost that game. But then first memory and the day where I could really like set up this career as a goal or at least trying to break into a professional and make it a, a job. It's really when I joined the Academy of Stade René Football Club because okay you sign a contract you enter you enter a program and the objective is to to succeed so i was 15 yeah 15 when i was like okay this is this is something that i'm gonna i'm gonna give 100 percent every day and dedicate a lot of my time and my attention and everything to make sure i succeed so yeah at 15 turning 16. that was it did you start playing at center back was that your first position no, I was a box to box, I would say, until the age of 17. It was like, yeah, I was like, I've had good in engine and I wanted to attack as well. That's why, you know, as a left back, I was also going forward a lot. So I've enjoyed both parts of the game, attacking, defending, all of it. Yeah, fair enough. But you did end up in defence, so you mustn't have been scored enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Okay, so you just said then, you know, your first break, 15, 16, or you, you're going into professional. Can you remember your first game as a professional where you thought, okay, 
I'm I'm really good. I'm, I I can get out of this league. Was your ambition always to play in the Premier League or you know La Liga? No, no, no idea. You know, I was in Rennes and I joined the club actually where they were in second division, and then they got promoted. But when I first appeared, I came on. I was 18 against Bordeaux. I came on at the end of the game and I was part of the squad and. I think a few games later, I started the game. So I was, you know, it's not, it's not, if you realize during the game that you belong, it's, it's too late. It has to be in training. Otherwise, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to drown during the game with all the pressure. You know, it was, it was like, I don't know, 20,000 people at the stadium. And when you're 18, you... to it, yeah, it's, it's, it's impressive. I feel you there. I feel you there. Can you can you remember the first game? Because I'm always in, interested in, you know, when I go on YouTube or something and I see this was the game that made Liverpool buy this player. Obviously, it's not. They've been watching them for a while. But you always think, you know, if they had a really terrible game that game, or you know, then they go on to score a hat trick. It is a moment where you can have the best game of your life or the worst game of your life, and that can impact massively on where you're going to go next in your career off, like, one game, maybe. Can you remember, like, was it a season that you had a really good season before Man United bought you, or was it, like, one game that sticks out for you when you felt like, okay, next phase? I think this is... So, my generation, we went to the uh, World Cup under 19 in Malaysia, with Thierry Henry, David Trezeguet, you know, small team, uh, William small Gallas. Small players. <laughs> small players, small Aww. time players. <laughs> so in the group, we had, uh, we had to face Brazil. And that was the tournament where I played centre-back. And up front, there was Thierry. And yeah, the spine of that team, we had the feeling that we would be... I mean, I think Thierry was already playing for Monaco, so... He was already there, gone. He was there, and yeah. that it was he's, he's done it. But for me, it was that gave me the not the credibility, but a sense that yeah, I could I could make it, and I would survive at the top level. Because it's not only okay, you can make it for one game, but you want to make it like fifteen years, twenty years, which is amazing. And during this tournament, I was on the top of my game. You know, you can't commit a lot of mistakes at the back. I mean, everything was pretty good, like offensive, you know, starting from the back, diagonal balls, beating. I mean, you World Cup level, you, you're playing against the top players of your generation. So if you are amongst the, the best, then you have a pretty good chance. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's amazing already. I'm just super hooked in the whole story. But can you remember the first time then or the, you know, your agent calls you and he says, yeah, Man United have put an offer in. Or can you remember that still? Oh, yeah. No, of course, it was like uh, it was yesterday. Uh, so my my first move is Inter Milan. So, you know, it's it's as big as as United in Italy. Trust me, Inter is, is massive. So, Okay, Inter, a difficult season with the four managers, but still I'm playing with Ronaldo, Baggio, I mean, two, two Ballon d'Or winners, you know, Zanetti, Simeone, Jorkaev, so a crazy, crazy team. The call is, the first person to call is, is your guy, Jaoui. So he calls me up because he knows me and he sees that with Lippi, I'm not going to have so much uh, game time. So he says, look, Liverpool is, is an option for you because you're going to be if you come, you will be in contention with Phil Bab. 
And then a few days later, Sir Alex called me and obviously the, that season, I mean, the previous season I played against against United in quarterfinal of the Champions League. Uh, so I have a better understanding of what United is about and they've just won the trouble. So he calls me up and he wants me to, to join up to play both positions, centre-back, left-back. I don't care even if he's asking me to play a striker. I think I go there. <laughs> <laughs> so a few days later, I was on the, on my way to uh, to uh, to Manchester, straight from Ukraine and Albania. Wow, that's just amazing! So you could have played for us. I forgot I about could. that part. Yeah, of almost. The story. Yeah, yeah, almost. And you know what, uh, Chelsea? I, I arrived on Thursday night at Manchester Airport. Alex come and pick me up. We go to to the hotel with my agent. What he just picked you up? Yeah, 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 car? just like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Sick. And Friday morning, I sign my contract. I'm training. Friday afternoon, we meet up again for the taking the take the bus to Liverpool. Okay, and we uh, sleep somewhere. I don't know outside of Liverpool. And Saturday morning, 12, 12 o'clock, kick off on field. No way. So I arrived Thursday night uh, and Saturday morning I was playing against Liverpool. <laughs> oh man, that's amazing. That is so amazing. And we won. So, we won, sorry. Yeah, thanks for that. We didn't, we didn't need to do that part. <laughs> what, what, is, what is Sir Alex like? Obviously, you can't talk about English football. He, he's iconic. You know, love or hate Manchester United, what he done with the team was just incredible. You guys, you know, like I said, in my generation growing up, you were the team. Just just unbeatable at times and like I say to you all the time it's like even if you were 2-0 down 85th minute you'd still believe that you were gonna win and you would pretty much all the time but what is he like as a man you know was he the type to put his arm around you or I know he's got a bit of a temper but what what made you guys absolute winners I think it's work ethic you know and the passion I mean, he was there before everybody was leaving after everybody. He, he knew about French football, about Italian football. So really passionate about the game. And in terms of management style, for me, it's like iron fist in a velvet glove. But most of the time, it's a velvet glove that goes around everybody's shoulder. He's joking with you. He's telling you stories about, about his childhood and taking the shower with us and playing. At the first, he was doing the the box you know at uh, at warm up with us so i think i've yeah I've, I've spent nine years with him and it was a real pleasure sometimes tough because it was tough love yeah he would tell you straight in your face what was wrong and what he expected of you so high expectation but he, he raised the bar also for himself and the thing is to get the that kind of respect from everybody it's because you give respect and you treat everybody the same. So he would, he would treat the kids man, the, the, the girls in the laundry, the same attention, respect, and laughing time to the top players, the top earners, or whatever. He didn't treat people or for what, what they were earning, how much they were making. Just, just as uh, He was treating everybody as his uh, co-workers and uh, yeah, giving them a lot of respect. That's why he was an inspiration to uh, all the players that came through, even the one that left in so-called bad terms, Bex, yeah. Yapstam, uh, the only one maybe was an issue with is still is Roy Keane, but um, the rest is everybody has uh, a lot of gratitude for him. 
Yeah. I, I spoke to Rio Ferdinand, actually, I think, and he said, you know, some of the, not exercises, but things that he would do in training were very, like, out there. Didn't he bring, like, minors to, to training ground or or t- told you to watch something about, like, the people who'd been buried underground or something? Like, he'd just do mad stuff. Uh, he, was, he was one of the reasons, and, and I think it's one of the main reasons why he, he stayed so long and, and was successful for 26 years. It's because every time you have to rebuild a team, okay? But every time also he brought a first-team coach during his reign that were coming with new ideas, new way of training, you know, sometimes somebody with new mentality. So there was the Portuguese, Carlos Queiroz, Steve McLaren, Walter Smith, René Milstein, the Dutchman. So there was different people that came in for us who, who stayed for a long time. It was good to, because you have to prove, you learn something else, you approach football a different way as well. And that was his strength to really give those guys responsibility and to entertain us, to change a little bit of the routine, because sometimes it's boring. You always do the same drills. Imagine Ryan Giggs and Paul Scholes doing the same drills for 20 years playing for Manchester United. <laughs> it's boring, but because there was so many changes and, and positive ones, then that gave Alex so, so much credit as well. Can you ever remember one that sticks out there where you've just been like, this guy is crazy, whether it's like a training session or a video that he made you guys watch or I don't know. No, the, the thing is, <laughs> <laughs> the thing that uh, was great coming from Italy, in Italy, you spend so much time in the hotel or even more, you have your room at the training ground. So that season before joining United, we had... A lot of bad results, so we would end up spending five days at the training ground, not going home. Yeah, not going home, staying there for the preparation of the games. So I arrived in England, no no hotel night. No, I mean, we get there three, two hours before kickoff. And in Italy, no chance. The night before, you're already at the hotel. So this is beautiful. I enjoy it so much, staying at home all the time. I mean, we're playing Champions League quarterfinal against Bayern Munich or Real Madrid and my friends are coming to visit me from France or from Italy and they're like you're not going to a hotel no no I'm just chilling at home preparing myself yeah. for the game so that's <laughs> and it yeah, when that, Carlos, that works. yeah and when Carlos Queiroz came Portuguese I was like oh my god <laughs> this is over the good time is over nights hotel 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 we're not gonna see our families again <laughs> Are different. I, I read a little stat, which I already spoken to you about, but you were the first player to play under Fergie and Arsene Wenger. There's only been three players to ever do that. It was you, Danny Welbeck and Robin Van Persie, who've both played for both. Mm-hmm. But do you see any similarities and also the biggest differences in like the, the two parties there with Fergie and Arsene? Yeah, I mean, it, it's obvious that they have different mentality. One is Scotsman and the other one is, is French. <laughs> That's, <laughs> yeah, for the obvious. <laughs> That's for the obvious. No, but uh, similarities for sure. Love for the game. Arsene is dedicated as well as much as, as Salt knows a lot about the game. Always curious to, to learn about, about different coaching style, about players, watching what should we do, what we should not do, what can we improve. And that's what he did when he first came to, to Arsenal. I'm talking for, for Arsenal. And the way they approach the game, the way they treat 
players and give respect, it's 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 quite similar. And the main differences, I would say, is that yeah, as much as Alex would be a straight in your face, the hairdryer treatment, you know, like right, like I'm gonna give you uh, it in your face. Arsene is different. He would take the time to analyze and have a cool head to give the feedback to the players. So it would be the next day or the day after the game that yeah. we would have his analysis. So that that would be uh, for me the the biggest differences. But also, Arsene is a typical continental uh, coach, which means he's taking charge of all the sessions. So it would be every day would be on the field with the players, taking charge of maybe the offense or the defensive part of, of the game. You saw Alex is uh, English style, so it's manager. So he's giving a lot of responsibility to the first team coach and, and assistants. But yeah, overall top coaches and top, top people. Yeah, and you made history, first player to ever do that. Also, you know, did you, you must have got a bit of stick. You know, obviously, man, when I speak to you and your wife all the time, Manchester is, you know, where your kids were born. And, you know, it, it was a massive thing in your life. Probably the most successful time in your career was at Manchester United, right? So yeah. was it was it a bit heartbreaking when you had to leave? Or not had to, but, you know, when you made the decision to go somewhere else. Was it a bit, especially going to Arsenal, another club in England, did it feel the same? Yeah, no, it's 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 difficult, but you, I'm I'm someone that is always looking forward, you know. So you project yourself. I mean, I project myself wearing that kit and playing for that team as soon as I spoke to Arsene. So you turn a page of a book and you you go to the next chapter. And I've done that already in the past, you know, leaving France to go to Italy. I've done that before, leaving my region of tour in France to go to Brittany. So. I loved traveling, so that wasn't an issue. Then, yeah, you're playing for another team, but, you know, it's at the end, it's only football, okay? There is a lot of fun and, and tension sometimes, but it's, it's only a game. So as long as I could continue my career and enjoy myself at the top level in the Premier League, that wasn't a dream move, but that was a very, a very cool one. Yeah, of course. So you just you did mention you played with Ronaldo online at Inter and you played with obviously Cristiano. Which Ronaldo for you is better? <laughs> Cristiano is up there with Messi, but uh, on top of these two two guys, you you have to put Ronaldo the the original El Fenomeno because oh, because so he's something else at every level. You know, if, even on one leg, he could beat you. Even over <laughs> overweight, he could beat you. Just a magician, a magician who could invent skills. You know, I'm a defender, so I'm facing him in training every day. And you're trying to guess where he's going to go because most most strikers have got, okay, three, four tricks in the bag. But he has... He has, don't know, he has 10, 15, you know, that he, he makes can... them up. <laughs> yeah, he makes them up. The, the, yeah. So you can't even guess. You just stay on your toes and wait. You can't guide him to the left because he's going to move to the right or vice versa. And the speed he was going to, I mean, it was just fantastic. And what a lovely guy. What a lovely yeah, guy. Yeah, a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what about the Premier League then? In the Premier League, who's the best player you played with ever? Actually, yeah, from, from the Premier League though. It's it's difficult between the legends of Paul Scores, Ryan Giggs, Roy Keane. So yeah, amongst those three, 
really they were the top performers I've I've played with for sure. Yeah. What was Roy like? Because he's an interesting character. I love him, by the way. I watched him now as a pundit, and he just goes in. Was he well, was he a hard teammate to have? Would he literally rip you to shreds? Yeah, I mean you make <laughs> a mistake. Yeah, but that's yeah, that's why with Roy you make it or you don't. You know, yeah. you have the mental stress to uh, not to respond but to handle it and to do better the next time or you you drown because you it's too much for for you but his desire was just to win so he wanted the team to do better he wanted you to to do better and that was the only motivation for Roy and when you are a defender you see him in front of you first of all he never loses the ball then he's a top tackler he's a, he's a top uh, interceptions i mean and then yeah passing wise he's at he had everything maybe the long pass wasn't his strength because he didn't need it his vision, his understanding was top. Uh, I mean, okay, we're talking about a big fighter, but his intelligence was above above a lot of players in the Premier League. Yeah, absolute, absolute legend. I mean, if you've got him on your team and you're walking out in the tunnel, you feel like you've got a good chance, don't you, every game? Definitely. If he's, I mean, he's had, he didn't have a bad day. I can't remember him having a bad day. This is even in training. I can't remember him having a bad day. This is, and that's a long, long career is that. Yeah, going, going into obviously, like we said, family and stuff like that. I'm always interested, you know, if, if someone's having a bad game, I'm not sure about me. Sometimes I use it to my strength. But if you've had a bit of a row with your wife or the kids have done your head in or whatever, does it make you play different? Do you, is it in your head or like, do, is it just your family's there, the game's there and, and you're quite good at like separating the two? You have to to separate. If you take your personal issues on the pitch, and you, surely you have, you're gonna have a bad game. You know the concentration has got to be spot on. So, I think it's it's something that you grow into. You know because you start at your, at a young age, and the pressure is always there because it's, you're playing at the top level, top under 17, top under 18, and you're playing with the pros, and your concentration is getting better and better. And Okay, you, you start having a family, maybe you have some issues with your kids, someone is sick or someone is having issues at school, something like that. So, yeah, that can affect you. But once you step on the pitch, you have the game plan and that's all that matters. And to be honest, I wasn't really good at it because sometimes I've had concentration issues, but it wasn't really about problems outside the field. It was just me uh, being a dreamer. Uh, yeah, I wasn't that bad because I made it to the top and I stayed there for quite a, a long time. You stayed there for a long time. You know, you've won pretty much everything. Talking about what else, you didn't win the World Cup. You was run it up. But yeah. do you enjoy international football? This is always a bit of a weird one. Obviously, it's amazing to play for your country. Put that shirt on. It's what every kid wants to do. But as a football fan, unless it's like the World Cup, we tend to not really care about England. What about you? Do you enjoy international football as much as club football? I think you enjoy it to the point when you reach the final tournament. So for us in, in Europe, it's uh, the Euros and then the, the World Cup. But before that, yeah, I must say if you play, no disrespect, but Macedonia or Luxembourg is, is not that they are not the best fixtures, but you have yeah, to go through level. it. And yeah, it's not the most exciting uh, games, but you, you're wearing the national team jersey. A lot of players would dream about it. They still be dreaming about it. So I, I think it's still big, but 
the new format for for the Euro for me it doesn't really uh, and to be honest I watch French now France when the when we are in a group stage I mean when we reach the tournament before the qualifiers I, I no I don't I have I've I watch enough football I don't watch those games <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly so. You know, for for me now, I know you and we talk about what you do now and you've got a lot of things going on. You are very, very busy, but you're now an agent, which I find fascinating because agents tend to not have the best reputation. Some of them, some of them, may I say, but you know, obviously you being an ex-player, does that really, that must really help because you've been there, you know, kind of, you want your players to play. It's not all about the money for you, right? Like, so you come at a different angle. I wasn't ready when I was playing for Arsenal to, to, to jump on that side of the defense and help the players to, in their career. So it's something that I'm passionate about because yeah, I've got a lot to share. And it's, it's fantastic if you can help someone to, to achieve their goal and their dream. And being part of that process, you know, recruiting players, scouting, and then obviously uh, guide them in their choices best club, best project, you should do this, you should do that, maybe, oh, this is good, this this could be improved. This is all about what I've learned and, and went through, through through my career. So it's something I like doing, but also at club level because I was sporting director for two years in, in Rennes in France. And I went back to school, you know, for that university, I got that degree in, in sports management. So, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I love the... I love this business because it's, it's a business and people sometimes they don't like the, the word, but as soon as it's your job and there's money involved, you're getting paid for that. It becomes a business. So I give hundred percent. But like when I was, I was a player, I don't, I don't relax, especially we're talking about people's career that lasts at most 15, 15 years. So they, they need the best help they can to make it worth, uh, yeah. to make it work. But it's a, it's, a, it's a big subject, you know, agency world, intermediaries, and right now, well, it's just, uh, I just got the news before the, the podcast, you see the, the French league won't start again, the league and okay. league two will, will stop, so I will have to jump on a, a lot of calls today to, to speak to the players and, and the club. Okay, so you're, you're very busy today then? Yeah, I will be in the next oh. uh, hours and days for sure, yeah. Okay, well... Obviously, the podcast what we could have been. And I think we started out from, you know, 15, 16 or going right the way up. But was there anything else that you think, if, if things didn't happen, you know, you maybe got an injury and was, did you have a plan B at all? Yeah, I've had to have a plan B because my, my parents didn't get to the baccalaureate, so the A-level. And they said to me, this is the condition. You want to play football, fine, but you've got to, to get your degree so you can at least access any university. So I got to the A level and I was, when I joined REN Academy, the deal was, this is a very good academy with good track record, but also they provide you the opportunity to go to university to become a sport teacher. So I attended two years, well, I tried to go to uni uh, <laughs> as, at the same time as playing, but it was a mistake because being a sport teacher, you have to do everything like rock climbing, uh, dance swimming and everything and i was training also at the same time so 
it, it wasn't working because early at 18, I was playing with the, the first team. So I had to, to stop. But yeah, that was... So you could have been a PE teacher? A sport PE teacher, teacher, yeah, for sure. Yeah, sport <laughs> <Go> teacher. <on>. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I'd love you to just go back and do that now and just be like, you know, when Ronaldo used to do this or, you know, when I was with Giggs and Roy Keane, oh, that would be great. You definitely got to go and be a PE teacher for a day somewhere. That's got to happen. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> so talking about obviously family and stuff like that, we're coming to the end now, but your daughter actually plays football. She plays for West Ham, doesn't she? Yes, she does play for West Ham under 16. Yeah. How is she coping with the whole season ending? And how are you coping at home even with this, with the kids? Yeah, well, first of all, she didn't want to, to play football. That was not her intention before she was 10. And because we were in the US and this is a, a big, big thing over there for, for girls. She started and, and she enjoyed it. And she she's, yeah, she, she's pretty good at it. And the good West Ham, it was tough to, I mean, to finish early, you know, because of the COVID-19. But she's dedicated. So right now, since we're allowed to exercise once a day, we uh, I take her to the park and we do some drills or we do some running. So her fitness doesn't go to, to zero because I, after <laughs> she knows that she will suffer. <laughs> yeah, and she's a centre-back, right? She's a centre-back. Yeah, like yeah, you. yeah. She, yeah, she, uh, she plays midfield, but lately she's been playing centre. Uh, yeah, that's where she will end up because there is no way she will be a... Uh, the goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe one of the kids will be. Maybe one of them. Maybe. <laughs> so what have you what's next for you? Obviously we've got actually I forgot the most important thing that people will want to know. You actually have your own rum. I mean the drink, actual rum. Because when we've been out together, I never really used to drink it. I was whiskey or wine or gin, and you were like you got me onto this rum cocktail, which I don't know what it's called, but it's amazing. Yes. So the rum adventure started 2011. Yeah, the idea was like, what am I going to be doing after I retire? <laughs> and coming from the West Indies, this is the the most famous drink and alcohol. I mean, it's, it's produced mainly in, uh, in those tropical islands. And the French are producing some top rum. And yeah, just got hooked into uh, the whole process, discovering the best distillery to work with and having a, a brown and a dark rum. And uh, I, I went through the whole history, the, the process of yeah, going from designing the bottle to actually uh, going to uh, the rum festival in, in London uh, like five years ago, the first time we attended that event. And it's, it, I mean, rum is fun. It's simple. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going to use that in my next song. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a good cocktail. Whatever whatever you made or whatever you've got going on. in Rum Sandbart, yeah, Rum Sandbart. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you've got it locked off. So, you you know, you've pretty much done everything, I think, what people would want to do. You know, you've got a lovely family. You've won the Champions League. You've played at the top, top level. And now you own your own rum. Like, what is next, Mike? What, you, what is next for you? Well, I'm, I'm working on a project I uh, told you about. So it's a, it would be an application about football, but we, it's, still a, it's still an ongoing process. So hopefully for the next season, whenever it starts, we, uh, we are trying hard to, to be ready. So we're not going to change the, the phase of the world, but uh, 
I think we, we can add, we can add something to the so that's that's an ongoing project and it's fascinating as well. Awesome. Well, I think we've covered everything. So thank you so much for joining me. I can't wait to get back to London with you and Seven. Have some of that rum. Get it open. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. And that was the brilliant Mikel Sylvester. I think everyone hopefully can take away from this episode that even though being a professional footballer, it seems like it's such a needle in a haystack kind of dream. You know, the passion, the determination and the drive that he had from such a young age and an early stage in life just goes to show if you dream big, you can do anything. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you subscribe to the series and please leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. If you've missed any of the previous podcasts with the likes of Dua Lipa, Jade from Little Mix, Love Island winner Cara Delahoyd and former Liverpool midfielder Ryan Babble, they're available to download on whatever podcast platform you are listening to this on. Thank you so much for listening. This is what we could have been and I'll see you next week.